The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're off to the, uh, well, the Americas, uh, Canada specifically, and Utah in the US of A, where we have American West, trades under the code AW1, trading at around 10 cents for a market cap of $43 million. Now, most people out there would have heard that American West has made a very exciting uh, discovery. Uh, called Storm Copper on Somerset Island in uh, Nunavut, up there in the Arctic in Canada. And it's also got uh, two very interesting projects in Utah, West Desert, which is zinc, copper and indium, which we'll learn about today, and Copper Warrior as well. So we won't mess around. We have Dave O'Neill to bring us up to speed on what the company's up to and what to look forward to in coming months. So with that, g'day, Dave. Welcome to the podcast. Morning, Barry. How are you going? Great. Hey, Dave. Um, the, uh, it's widely recognised that, and the company itself says that you've uh, made a potentially globally significant copper discovery here on uh, Sto- Storm Copper on Somerset Island. Um, fill us into uh, what you've uh, been up to there and what you think you might have on your hands. Yeah, um, look, a lot's happened since last time we spoke. I think it might have been the start of the season where sort of there's a lot more arm waving involved and you know talking things <laughs> up. But look, we're really. Um, um, you know, backed ourselves in with this project and it's really come off this year. Um, you, every hole has essentially hit hit copper. Um, just to remind people what about sort of our strategy was this year is to um, really kind of define the, the near surface mineralization and put, wrap some resources around it, which we're working very hard on at the moment, um, and also do some more exploration and show that it is a, a near-term development project, but it's also got this fantastic exploration upside. And and certainly the, the drilling this year has done that in two ways. And I, look, we think it's globally significant. Um, this thing's turned into a camp scale opportunity in terms of the mining, but certainly the, the prospectivity extends for about, uh, you know, 100 kilometres along this belt. And so that's why we think it's a globally significant. Certainly the resources where we have at the moment, you know, <laughs> go up in the in the top 5% of deposits globally yet, but, uh, you know, it's certainly um, expanding very quickly. And um, our confidence in, in that we do have something significant there is growing significantly as well. And so, look, we we we've drilled out um, around the known prospects, um, like we said, to define some initial resources. But significantly, what we've done uh, in the near surface as well is that we've def- found another uh, couple of deposits in that in that um, near surface space as well. And essentially, every dr- uh, geophysical target we're drilling is turning out to be high grade copper. So. Um, one for one correlation that gives us, you know, great, great confidence that you know if we define further anomalies, they'll also end up being copper. So, um, a lot's going on. Um, we've just sort of finished up the drilling at Storm this year, but there's lots of activity still going on up there in terms of uh, we've got the mineral resource estimate, the maiden one for the Storm project, uh, the economic studies to follow that. The there's the metallurgical work on the the core is also continuing in the background there. And then, um, obviously, these other projects in Utah, which we'll pick up on. Now, a lot of the confidence has to do with the style of mineralisation, a um, sedimentary, sedimentary-hosted 
copper resource, the type that you see in uh, Africa. So just give the investors a feel for why that's important in terms of uh, building your confidence that uh, this could be a very significant find over time. Yeah, uh, well, these deposits, if you look at um, the graph on the size distribution of these things, they're, they're not generally very small. Um and they can get very, very large. Um, obviously, you have at the one end of the scale the Kamoa Kakula type deposits, but you know, 50 million tons of contained copper, and that's truly world class and, and one of the best around. But then, you, you know, they don't get much smaller than the the, the, ten, the tens of millions of tons. So that for us would be the, you know, uh, um, a minimum resource sort of threshold, we think. And then it's going to grow from there. And so, these things, you know, particularly when located near surface, are highly economic because obviously you're dealing in that um, the one to sort of three percent copper range mm-hmm. um, as an open pit opportunity that is truly sort of um, in the top five to ten percent globally. We know that you know most of the open pit copper mines globally are around the point four point four two percent copper. Um, so you you do you're on that sort of the high margin end of the spectrum there, which is good. So. Um, look, again, we've got all, it, it's very early days yet. And so while we're, we're, we're working to put resources around this, you know, I just remind investors that this is a long-term play as well in terms of the exploration growth. Um, we know these things get big, that they take time to delineate um, fully. And so, you know, um, we'll be working on that next year. Right. The, uh, in some of the company presentations, the, uh, the prospective copper horizon um, well, goes on for Ks after K after K. How do you determine the, the pr- prospective horizon? So the, the sedimentary hosted copper that we have is very um, clearly constrained to certain stratigraphic units. And so um, I'll just take one step back and say the near surface mineralization, we have the, again, w- w- these zones are called numbers. So we've tried to actually call them names because I'm a geologist and <laughs> working shapes and, <laughs> and pictures more than numbers, but the engineers love it. But um, the 4100 zone is a traditional said hosted flat-lying um, copper system. So just a reminder, this geology is very flat-lying. These things can be very coal seam-like in terms of their continuity and scale. And so um, that's a traditional said hosted copper. The mineralogy and distribution of the, the copper in that suggests that that's the, certainly the case. We think that... Um, and then there's the other types, which which is the 2750, the 2200, the recent discoveries of Lightning Ridge and, and Thunder were there, uh, structurally controlled, very, very high grade, um, but related to this big fault system that we have in the area. So two very distinct, all related to the one system. But we drilled four holes this year and a hole last year, and um, at about the 270 to 330 level, um, we discovered further copper sulfides. And... Um, again, in a very distinct layer with a distinct specific gravity um, that was different to the surrounding rocks. And um, all four of those holes this year have hit copper sulfides. One of the holes hit up to 2.7% copper, which shows that there are those economic grades at that depth. And now um, the, 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 the thing for us to do is now define exactly where the best parts of that system is. And that system, so just a reminder, some of, two of the holes were two kilometres apart. Um, they're all kilometre apart from the So that tells us that this thing is very widespread. And, and the geophysical data, like particularly the gravity, we've shown that this, this particular horizon's got a significant gravity anomaly associated with it. They go down the whole belt, which is, you know, um, down to, to Tornado and Blizzard, which in that immediate area is about 10 k long. So 
Um, as we know, it's even Kamoa Kakula and other big um, sedimentary hosted deposits, it does take time to find the best parts. And if you've ever seen Kamoa Kakula in a plan view, you'll see that it does have lobes and, and lower grade sections and, and intersections, and it's about finding that sweet spots. And certainly we, you know, um, don't think we've done that with the, the, the four exploration holes we've done. So really the next phase for that deeper horizon is actually um, fleshing it out and finding the best parts, which, um, you know, we think should look like the 4100 zone, but at depth and, you know, potentially much larger. All right. And just uh, looking forward perhaps uh, to potential development there, what's it like to operate in that part of the world? Uh, you don't get iced in, do you? Um, you do get iced in, um, not from a mining sense, purely from a logistical um, a shipping point of view. But look, we, um, again, to remind people that there are two very long-lived mines up in that area, Polaris and Nana Civic, and they were mined for 20 years. And and um, by all accounts, Polaris was one of the um, Tecumenco's most profitable mines in its day. Um, and so you the only constraint is around the shipping window, which, you know, when you talk to the metal traders, you talk to the smelters, um, they don't think that's an issue. You can st- stockpile off-site or you can actually just move things, yeah. um, you know, as big lump sums. But mining 24-7, um, you know, consider it as an one night shift and one long day shift in terms of the winter and the summer. But um, look, there's no constraints. And in fact, once you have the infrastructure in place um, that, you know, you can mine all year round. But the other thing I'll point to is that um, one of the beauties of operating in a ice and snow area, particularly storm, is that we only get less than one metre of snow per, per annum. Um, it's actually in a desert. So um, we don't get significant, you know, and so the beauty of snow over water is that you can actually move it um, by blowing it or actually picking it up and moving it. Whereas if you're in a high precipitation area, like um, very high rainfall, then you have to pump water and, and move it. So um, snow is actually quite easy to deal with in the mining sense, um, even in an open pit mine, because, um, you know, particularly when they get less than one meter of snow per annum. So so yeah, it is. Um, look, summer is very nice. The weather's given it's a desert, like you don't get a lot of um, big storms, and we get blizzards, etc., and things like that. And despite the name storm, um, I think I've explained that story of how it <laughs> occurred. Um, it is a fairly benign um, weather area, despite the cold, um, obviously in winter. Mm, okay. Again, uh, talking about uh, how it might shape up in uh, in the future. I understand you've uh, done some. Very preliminary work on potential DSO project, uh, direct shipping um, operation. Yeah, yeah, and and if you know you've seen photos of the core, and and the first thing that strikes um, any well certainly any geologist is that it's very simple uh, in terms of its its monomineralic, like it's mostly just chalcosite and then dolomite, and so um, it's not disseminated, so it's not in, in embedded in the rock in any way, so you don't have to grind it down to a, a very fine size to liberate it, and then. Um, there's no chemical mineralogy, so you don't have to float it or anything like that. So we very early on showed that you could mechanically just break it up to a certain size and we put it in an ore sorter in the initial instance and found that it obviously does very well because the host rocks are um, and the ore are essentially two to one in terms of their specific gravity. Um, you know, chalcocite's about five and, and dolomite's about 2.6. So very distinct um densities so what that does is opens up a lot of um, mechanical processing options for you so we're doing further work in the background and and we have taken a while to do this because the goalposts have essentially keep changing we keep finding more ore um which is fantastic um and then 
what that does is obviously change what a potential scale of any operation may be. So we're looking to do obviously um, um, and look at different beneficiation techniques to um, suit that kind of throughput and the kind of copper production that we'd expect. So it's it is very simple. Um, we're blessed with that, and that's certainly one of the um, the key um, highlights for this project is the ability to hopefully get it out very quarry style, um, put it through a simple DMS or, or, or dry or wet jigs, and to um, be able to separate the the ore very simply from the the host rocks. So um, that look, I expect some updates on that as well. Um, we're, we're doing a new round of work in Canada, so um, yeah. Look out for um, more results on that. Hopefully, following the the main resource because mm, some of these hits you're reporting are very shallow, aren't they? In copper mining terms, yeah. And that's the that's the, that's the key point I want to highlight as well is that all of the resources that we'll be putting out um, are hundred percent open pitable. So, um, you know, the other thing with the, the deeper mineralization, which is potentially very extensive and large, is that that's still a very early exploration play that will evolve over time. Let's not forget in the immediate near surface, sticking out of the ground is these, um, you know, significant volumes of this very high grade material. And so, you know, you'd be silly to go straight underground and aim for the, the deeper stuff to start with, you know, um, when the, you've got that significant volume already in the ground, um, sticking out of the ground, sorry. So um, at a much cheaper, you know, $5 a tonne compared to 60 to 70 underground, um, it's a bit of a no-brainer. So are you at that stage where you're going to zero in on you know, a handful of uh, prospects? Because you you've got this belt-scale exploration potential. Yeah. So there's enough excitement at Storm to keep you there for... Oh, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's the opportunity here and, and one of the key um, selling points for Storm is that, um, look, any resource that we put out this year will be constrained by how much drilling we're able to do. The beauty of it that every single ore body that we've drilled is open um, and so any maiden resource is obviously going to be constrained to how much we've done and so the opportunity next year is that they'll obviously expand because um, two key prospects thunder which you know we hit 48 meters at three percent copper near surface and lightning ridge was about 30 meters at over two percent copper near surface both those intersections will not be in any resource because obviously it's one hole so um, there's not enough confidence, even arm waving, you know, there. So I think they're, they're the upside. That's the, the upside for, for any resource growth next year. And so while we have that and we're very focused on, on, on getting this moving as quickly as possible, there's also the expiration play here, which is the longer term, um, which is really um, defining further resources in the near surface, but also at depth. And see, I think as a company, we can give investors the the near-term development opportunity, but also this real fantastic exploration opportunity. And that's just within Storm, not talking about any of the other projects. So I think that's the key here is that we we do have the speculative side, but we'll also be, um, you know, the much more, um, you know, <laughs> operationally driven as well. So um, I think it's it's good to have those two aspects to the project. Right. Now, <clears throat> there's uh, obviously a lot of interest in the uh, discovery, what you're doing at Storm. And the share price was uh, much higher uh, earlier in the year, you know, back at 10 cents now. Now, some people say, oh, that's because the copper price is down and all the juniors are struggling a bit. But it's it's not, it's not more likely, isn't it, that you there's a hiatus in drilling at Storm? Yeah, it, it's a good question. And, and to be honest, we, we don't really know. And I think, you know, the, the sentiment around what we've achieved this year and, and the team is all very, very positive, which is great. But um, 
certainly, you know, people that got in a lot higher are obviously disappointed, as I am. But um, look, I think some of the feedback I have, like, and one I did a couple of recent trips was to actually try and get into the heads of investors and understand what had, had compelled them to, to sell. And, and you're right, there was a, a, the belief that, you know, news flow will dry up, we'll stop drilling at, at Storm and we'll come back next year. And a lot of them said, look, we'll take the money off the table and come back next year. It's like, well, there's a couple of key things here you made me sad on. <laughs> we still have yeah, exactly. a lot more results to come from Storm. We've got a maiden resource uh, and there's economic studies and um, a whole bunch of stuff going on in the background at Storm and that will continue all the way through. Um, but then don't forget, we've also got these other projects, um, one which we're actually drilling at the moment, another copper project in Utah. So that will provide additional news flow. And it also shows we're not a, a one-trick pony. Um, you know, we've got a couple of feathers in our cap. There's a few metaphors there. But um, look, the other thing with it, what we will be doing um, next year, and we, we, we looked at it this year as well, is prolonging um, the drilling at Storm as long as we can. And, and there's a few things we can do. And certainly from a diamond drilling sense, um, you know, we, we may actually be able to operate, um, you know, all year round and, and push it through the winter. There's probably a month or so you, you, you'd stop for, for obvious reasons, but then um, coming back. So we are looking at a bunch of things and, and some of the feedback from investors and, and maybe getting out to be stopped drilling. I mean, we'll, be, you know, take that into account and, and, and try and plan it out next year differently. But um, yeah, like I said, we're drilling in the other project as well. So yeah, well, that's the the beauty of the uh, having the portfolio you've got down in Utah, where it's always uh, nice and warm. Um, <laughs> and you mentioned there you're uh, drill, about to drill at uh, Copper Warrior. That's right. So Copper Warrior um, is very similar to Storm in terms of its genetics, geology wise. Um, southeast Utah, Paradox Basin, which is known for massive quantities of vanadium, uranium, copper, cobalt everything down there and yeah you know, these are big mines um so we're only 15 kilometers from the second largest copper operating copper mine in utah which is lisbon valley um, privately owned um heat bleach operation this is um again very coal seam like in terms of its geometry very flat lying um this is disseminated chalcosite um, and then you get the oxide the azurite and amalekites and things like that there but this is you know in that um, 0.5 to 1.5% copper range, that's kind of what people can expect. Um, the big Indian mine that's directly next to our project is, is mined at about 1.5% copper and Lisbon Valley is about 0.5. So um, these are big mines and they um, the beauty of Lisbon Valley is they're running short on ore um, due to the geometry of their deposits. And, um, and you know, we have those two mining units actually being mapped in our project. Um, there's a lot of copper sticking out of the ground. In fact, the exposures at Copper Warrior um, look very similar to what Lisbon Valley did um, prior to they, you know, the, their discovery, etc., with um, veins of you know chalcosite and malachite and all sorts of stuff sticking out of the ground. So, look, we um, two things with this drilling is um, one is very low cost. So we're just doing RC drilling, very shallow holes. This is mostly exposed to surface, you know, sub 150 meters. Um, and we're just trying to confirm that we do have those, the, the actual extent of those mining units, but also um, test some really exciting geophysical targets along there. So um, that's the first ever drilling at the project. So never been drilled by anyone. Uh, and so um, hopefully that'll flow onto a follow-up program if we have success down there. So when might there be first uh, drill results, you think? Uh, typical turnaround now, given the, the drilling season certainly underway in, in the state. So expect four to six weeks to assays but again you know 
this mineralization is highly visual. You, I mean, you'll see the photos, obviously, of the the bright blue azurite sticking out of the ground. It's very visual. So, you know, we'll get a, a, a good idea very early on um, just about what we're seeing. So um, I hope to keep investors in the loop on that. All right, okay. And adding to the news flow, West Desert, uh, zinc, copper, and indium, also in Utah. And there's a maiden resource there, but uh, perhaps you might start out by telling us what indium is. So indium is a critical metal, uh, also a strategic metal in the US, as there's, you know, they essentially import it all from Bolivia and China. Um, there is no actual um, indium deposit in the States other than sort of West Desert. So um, it's used in touchscreens, iPhones and, and solar panels and semiconductors and things like that. Um, it's a fairly opaque and, and relatively small market compared to some of the other things, but it's, it is a tech metal. Um, the demand is growing. Um, there's a definite supply deficit in the US and obviously some political overlay. Security supply issues. Yeah, coming into that. And so, look, we've been working on um, – the reason we didn't put out the indium as a resource when we did the zinc, copper, silver – um, is that there's some of the drilling, the historical drilling was lacking the data. And so we couldn't have it the same, you know, uh, indicated and in, in classification as that. So what we've done, gone back, done some resampling and things like that and just fleshed it out. And so we'll be able to very shortly put out our Indium, made an Indium resource on that as well. So um, look, Indium in terms of value is probably half the price of um, silver um, per, per ounce. And so, you know, um, we've already shown historical um uh, resource estimates, you know, NI43101, just to uh, make people clear, it's not jaw compliant, but those show there's over 20 million ounces of indium in the deposit. Um, so, you know, we'd hopefully uh, be able to replicate that and if not more, so um, at very high grade. So, yeah. So as it is, you've already established, a, what, a 1.3 million tonne zinc, uh, 50,000 tonnes of copper yep. and 10 million ounces of silver. Yeah. So what what would be critical mass to have a project on your hands there? Um, to be honest, I think it's it's there. I think what we, uh, the drilling we did um, a year or so ago showed that certainly the opportunity for growth is in copper, um, and there's as you get it's so it's a scan deposit that sits on a porphyry, and the porphyry is the same age as Bingham Canyon. It's also got significant amount of um, molybdenum and copper within the porphyry, which really hasn't been explored. We've only explored ten percent of that around the the margin of that porphyry. Um, and what we found is that the copper certainly increases as towards the porphyry and also to the west where we don't have any drilling. And so we think that the certainly is a project as it stands now, but any growth is going to certainly beef up um, the copper. Um, and also, you know, there's potential for further discoveries around the, the margin. The beauty of, we've, you know, West Desert, again, is constrained by drilling. Um, all of these porphyry systems tend to have um, clusters of these SCARN deposits, and there is indications of SCARN in some of the exploration drilling elsewhere around that porphyry. So I think there's a project there. Um, it's going to expand um, and, uh, you know, yeah, um, lots to do there. All right. Okay, so you're obviously uh, very busy. I was just wondering what the cash situation looks like. Yes, <laughs> yes, we are. Um, but, uh, you know, we had $7 million at the, the end of the last quarter, which is, which is okay. mm -hmm. you know, gives us confidence that, um, you know, despite the, the, the terrible market conditions, uncertainties and all that sort of stuff that we're well funded to do what we need to do. And and certainly um, given Storm has stopped and that was obviously there was some logistical costs and things like that to that, you know, that certainly has slowed 
Um, our burn down, Copper Warrior is very low cost and low risk uh, in terms of, um, you know, compared to Storm, given its location and um, ease of access, et cetera. So, um, yeah, uh, and then the study work in the background as well is not is not a big burn either. So, um, yeah, well funded. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so there we go, folks. Um, a uh, hugely interesting discovery storm up there in the the arctic region be a bit quiet on the exploration front but lots of work in the uh, the back room there working up uh, resources and uh, development scenarios and uh, to keep us all interested in the lead up to christmas copper warrior and of course don't forget about west desert either so dave uh, thanks for your time today uh, good luck with it all uh, great story and we'll uh, watch with interest as you go forward thanks mate good one thanks barry cheers